the horses had massive speed, massive strength. Um, after selective breeding, the horses got pretty, they got the great disposition that we know them for now, and they got fast. That led them to be a favorite for a road horse. They were great on the road, but that also led them to be a favorite for harness racing. Uh, harness racing took off in the early 1900s because of the standard bred and how fast they were. That equally led them to be a great show horse. Um, you go to any county fair in the early 1900s and you would have saw standard bred in the show ring. Um, those county fairs didn't keep great records, but the first official record that we have is a road horse class in the Kentucky State Fair in 1906 or roundabout. Uh, the Kentucky State Fair turned into the World Championship Horse Show. So somebody who probably was in that class, Jimmy Robertson. Well, I wasn't that far from it, but uh, uh, anyway, I appreciate y'all having us. Uh, we, uh, we're going to start this off, I think, by having Mark go on and turn. This is 2020, and we're going to show uh, Divide and Conquer winning at the World Grand Championship at Louisville in uh, August of 2020. Let's do that, and then we'll talk a little more.
The girl on the rail right there was my wife with the dark hair, coaching me, trying to get me straightened out. I wasn't real sure I could stop him going up that hill. 
there is. It never gets too old me watching that horse. As long as I've been around, when you get to watch a nice horse like that, I was I was uh, uh, very lucky to have a chance to work that horse, and we got that horse. I'm sure most of you all know that, but we bought him in 2019, uh, right out of the Mo Mount Hope Memorial Day sale, and uh, uh, we we've been we bought three horses up there, and they were all successful, but he was the most successful. Before I lose any train of thought, one thing, not about training, but showing, you saw where I stopped him when they said reverse. He wasn't catching his breath, and he darn sure wasn't tired. I might have been a little tired, but he wasn't. But I was, you can win or lose a class by where you position yourself for the speedway of the ring. And uh, you saw when the, when he got out on the rail, uh, you hardly ever saw another horse in the frame, and and uh, that was. Uh, but that's the whole reason you you do that. I grew up in the horse business. My father uh, was a Hall of Fame American saddlebred trainer. He uh, he was right in there in Kentucky. His dad was a farmer, and he trained horses. And he uh, uh, grew up, went to the army, came back, and started training horses. And then he uh, came home and started a stable in Mount Sterling, Kentucky. Then moved to Louisville, and then finally Lexington. He didn't have many road horses. He did have one when he was in uh, California for a, a man. A, he was a man who wasn't real healthy, a doctor, and. He didn't. He probably weighed 120 pounds, and it was you know if you don't lean to the inside of that buggy, you can turn the buggy over. And the, this little light man wanted to show a road horse, and it it was a challenge for my my father. And what he did was took the seat off and and took about a quarter inch piece of lead all outlined on the round of the seat, and then put it back on to where the buggy would stay down for this. Uh, slender man and ended up having uh, a good career with that horse he had out there in California. Uh, our business, like I said, he was a saddlebred guy more than road horses and only when I was working with him did we end up with a road horse or two and then I went out on my own and ended up with some. But our business of roadster horses is very closely related to the business of uh, of uh, show horses, or the sport of showing horses, and the sport of showing road horses. In fact, I don't. Uh, Y'all might have might have heard of Greyhound, the great trotting standard bred horse, all, uh, owner of many world records. One record he owns that nobody much knows about. He trotted with a person on his back. In 2009, and this was oh, 60 years ago, which 2009 was fast for a buggy horse 60 years ago. And who was the rider? But a, a, a lady named uh, Frances Dodge of the Dodge Stables fame and Calumet Farm fame. Dodge Stables, the great. Uh, 
Saddlebred uh, Farm and Castleton Farm, the great uh, standard bread farm. And that's, uh, that's how we are closely related to that. And it's just uh, uh, our business has gone from uh, good to fair to good. And I, lately it's really been growing. Somewhere around the turn of the century, which 2000, a little, somewhere in there, the, the USEF uh, had made it a rule that all the show roadsters had to be, in USEF classes, had to be standard bread, full standard bread. And it ended up, and went about 12, 10 or 12 years like that, and it ended up making the numbers a little lower. And then uh, we got that, some of, our, some of our committees and stuff, got that changed to open it up to all breeds, because I always felt standard bread was, uh, I mean, road classes were as much a, a division as a breed, but were more a division. So anyway, uh, we got that changed, and I thought that made a big difference in the numbers, but there's one more thing I think that made a big difference in the numbers. And about this same time is when you all out here started the Mount Hope Memorial Day sale. And I think that that's done as much to, uh, to improve the Roadster Division, especially the Standard Bread Roadster Division, as uh, any, anything that's been done. And uh, I think uh, Mark probably agree with me with that, but I just really think that that has made a big difference. And uh, what we'd like to do now is we'd like to ask if, anybody has any question, doesn't matter, the only dumb question is a question nobody asks. So if anybody has anything they'd like to uh, ask or comment about, we would love to hear from you. Uh, Stephen's got a mic somewhere, or somebody does. Oh. Well, I want to be sure that it's important. Too many of us judges probably don't judge the turns, but it's very important to, to see how they go around the turns. And where I would sit, we'd always be on this end where we'd be close to the one of the turns and uh, to be sure they get around the turns good. Uh, and uh, that's as important as anything. Uh, I've been... I've been in the amateur division instructing all my life, so I want to be sure they're, they're, they're the right kind of thinkers for that. And uh, uh, so that'd make a big difference. We don't want one that's a little too hot or a little too pressing too much because we want most of my horses are, are for amateurs. Now, 
fortunately, I got to keep divide and conquer and show him without the amateurs, but uh, the other two made both very, very nice amateur horses. Winners, both of them won all over our circuit, and uh, uh, but he he and he's probably ready to be an amateur now, and maybe that's I'll just suit Keith just right. <laughs> Since he'll be showing him next year. Yep, that'll work perfect. But uh, anyway, uh, the 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 gates and do all of course you know the. Uh, uh, as far as uh, y'all, so I like to shop the one by what I like too. So that's when I want the I want the headset, not like a seahorse, but a working standard bred headset and a good gait and motion's fine. I think y'all agree that uh, motion's good too. But that that's the gist of it. Same thing, same thing Jimmy said to a degree. Um, I, I want a horse that moves clean. I can do away with a little motion as long as I'm not touching an elbow or touching an ankle. Um, nothing disheartens a show horse more than going around the small turns and bumping an ankle. It, those things are going to create behavioral problems that you're going to have trouble getting over if that's the way they're built. You can shoe, you can do some things, but I want to see a clean mover per se. Um, like Jimmy said, I, I second most everything he said, but I really want to see one that moves clean, doesn't touch ankles, so on like that. Perfect. I came over here on purpose because Divide and Conquer, John Hirschberger here, Hershey Eat by they, they had Divide and Conquer at the sales, so I came over and I forced him to give me a question. Um, but his question were, how, what do you guys do to work your horses so they get the turn? When you were doing that victory pad, you were hitting those turns pretty wide open. What do you do to keep them flat in the terms of that, right? That, that was the question asked. What do you guys do? And, and what? What I like to say is, is uh, don't drive them straight ahead and let the wall turn them. You know, the horse, horse is a smart horse. They're not going to run into the wall. Drive them straight ahead and let, let them figure it out. But let the wall turn them, and, and that way, unless you need to go buy a horse, because I, I like to... If I pass, I like to pull out a little early uh, from a turn to, rather than pass somebody going down the rail because it's a, it's a show horse. It's not a, it's not a race. Now, this horse is pretty fast, but it's not a race. And, and so I, if I have to turn a little early to get by somebody, otherwise I drive them straight ahead. And don't guide them. Drive them straight ahead and let the wall turn them. A lot of people do a lot of long lining in the turn, you know, in a smaller circle, uh, you know, 60-foot circle and all that. And I'm not a, I'm not a big one on long lining. I think Keith long lines a little more than I do. But uh, I'm an old man. I hate to have to do all that walking. That's what those buggies were invented for. <laughs> Keith? I'll, I'll second a lot of what Jimmy said on that. Um, you know, the worst thing you could probably do is take one home to one of our show arenas, 60, 70 foot wide, and then just drill him on the turns. He's, he's going to get nervous about it. It's almost something that we don't practice as much. Um, obviously, you know, divide and conquer, all he wants to do is go. So he's going to be 
putt-putting around that barn all day long. He's never going to go fast. It's, so it's not like you're practicing those fast turns. And same thing with other road horses. I don't love to turn. I like to go outside and go down the road and go straight. If a horse in the show horse, a road horse, if they're straight and they're on their, you know, squared up on their legs and their joints, they're going to make that turn, especially if they're sound. So we don't do a ton of turning, just slow bridle work, balance work, stuff like that, and the turn kind of presents itself. All right. I got another question right up here. What, what do you look for when you go to a, to a sale or somewhere? What kind of attitude are you looking for in a horse as far as a thinking and, and how he, his attitude? What are, you, what are you guys looking for? Because you can have one that might have a certain attitude to move like crazy but might not be a fit. Is, there, is that something that you guys look at? You know, attitude's important to me, and then, like I said, I I don't want one to have too much of an attitude. Like I said, because I'm in uh, I'm in the amateur business, or was, and uh, but uh, uh, attitude and personality is is all of it. You know, to me, it's all of it. And you know, you get some standard breads or standard bread or any road horses. Some of them may not use their ears because they're not bred to be the show horse, a lot of them, that, that our saddlebreds are, and, uh, and uh, so attitude and their brilliance, that's very important to us. Keith? I'd love to have a perfectly mannered horse that just wants to go to the horse show, but if you give me one that looks like that, I will deal with whatever attitude he has, um, and that's kind of my thought on most horses, right? A lot of times we're like, that horse is too game, that horse is too lazy, that horse is this. Um, it's my job to train. I might take a different training technique towards a game horse versus a horse that's not as game. But if they've got the parts, um, I would love a perfectly mannered horse, but I'll live with that right there. <laughs> what do you guys do to get a horse soft in the mouth and get that feel in? Well, we, a, a road horse... We try to mouth the probably, we'll mouth our saddlebreds a little more than a road horse. A road horse, we want them to be on the muscle a little bit. And if they're, if they're too strong, a lot of slow jogging, every now, every now and then stop and back them up. We never have a, uh, a crazy amount of bit in their mouth or anything like that. I had to shoot, they had a road horses up at Madison Square Garden years ago, the, 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 most famous uh, venue for indoor sports in the world, and they they had road horse classes, and I took a horse up there, a guy from Canada owned it, and it was on my nickel, and the prize money was really good, as you can imagine, in downtown New York City, with the kind of ticket prices they have and stuff, and I showed him in the open class, open roadster, and I was sixth. And that horse, I had great big heavy bit in his mouth, the wire, just all I could. And I could not hold him. And he, and of course he showed bad. So I said, I got to show him back because I, I won't be able to afford to truck him home if I don't get a little prize money. So I just took the, the heavy bit out of his mouth and put a twisted wire snaffle and, and, Took, took off with him, and he made a great show and was top three in a big, big, good class. And I, I got enough money to get him home. And, uh, but a standard bread, one difference between a standard bread 
to me in a saddle bred. A standard bred doesn't like to be hurt, and I learned that on that horse I'm talking about. A saddle bred will respond more with the, you put a, um, I don't know if you're familiar with a mule bit, but it's pretty pretty firm bit, bit with teeth in it. And a saddle bred, you might can get them backed off the bit and, and go with it, but you use a, uh, but with a standard bred, I won't say he fights back, but he doesn't like it if you really bear down on that mouth to soften it up. I, I agree totally. Um, for me, it, it comes to a few things, but especially what Jimmy said, the thing I love about a standard bred or a good trotting horse is if things get a little uncomfortable, they seem to lean into it. So if you want to make that bridle, if that bridle happens to be a little uncomfortable for that horse, they're going to lean into it and get tougher and just go to work instead of like maybe a saddle bred might back out of it once they feel it get a little tough. So I definitely use a, a smooth snaffle. Um, I'll use a leather wrap bit, maybe a big wrap bit. It doesn't matter. It just, what horse is different, I'll, I'll use as soft as bit as I can use because I want a horse to know that he can spit that bit just for a second. I want him on the muscle. Um, the divide and conquer horse isn't going to spit that bridle at all, but I would love to, for them to know they can spit that bit a little bit and not be uh, uncomfortable. Uh, the second thing is, um, to me, that head carriage, because they're not going to fix up quite like a saddlebred. They don't have to, um, but that body needs to be soft and comfortable before they can have that flex. So I want their back comfortable. That means their stifles have to be comfortable. I just want them comfortable and limber more so. Limber means soft, because the divide and conquer horse is very limber, but he's not soft if you drive him. Um, so I want a horse very limber. I won't, I won't work a horse checked up unless it's a rare occasion that needs it. I won't work them checked up often. I'll let them flex over and mouth and bend and just work on straightness and body suppleness more than more than their mouth. You know, I pay attention to it. I'm not that familiar with it. Uh, <clears throat> years ago, uh, before most of you all were born, maybe, uh, uh, Dream of Glory was all of it. And I mean, that's who you'd get to goodbye. And that, there's now, and this was a horse up in Canada, and a lot of, a lot of road horses came out of Canada then. I owned a Dream of Glory one time, and like I said, he, he was all of it. That's who you wanted to get, his dream of glory. Well, now there's eight or ten dream of glories. I mean, whether it's a, a muscle massive, Mr. Candy, uh, uh, my horse, the sire, Dewey Cheatham and Howe, who's passed away now. But, I mean, there, there's, a, there's a, like I said, there's a half a dozen dream of glories. There's probably, I think there's a son of dream of glory that's breeding pretty good now. Mark might know that. Check on that, Mark. We'll let them know another year. But I think there is one that's breeding some show horses. I'm the same way. Um, everybody's got something they like or something they had by a certain stud, but there's so many nice studs out there now. And, you know, I kind of chuckle. Um, there might be a stallion that you say, you'll never have another one again. You'll, you'll never do it. And, and you see one looking like that, and you don't care who he's by. So it doesn't matter to a certain extent to me. Do you know 
Oh yeah, it's 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 an X-shaped thing where you have different places to hook the where the reins will go and just turn them loose, or else put them on a long lunge line. And and I I don't use one, and I don't have or I never had one. And I don't use one, but I see a lot of people have a lot of success with them. More so ponies, I think than horses, and why, I don't know, but a lot of road ponies, will, uh, you'll see people using dumb jocks on them, and, uh, but uh, it's, uh, I don't think it's, uh, just because I don't use it doesn't mean it's not the thing to do for certain horses. I am a dumb jockey, so that's easy <laughs> enough. <laughs> um, I have a few dumb jockeys, different builds, different makes. Um, I second Jimmy, I use them on my ponies, I'll jog my ponies. Um, I haven't used them on a road horse. I, maybe it's just a situation I didn't feel like I needed. I might do a little better. Because basically you're just trying to elevate their head, elevate their headset. Basically I'll do a little better maybe how I run my reins if I'm long lining or jogging. Or if I'm not running an over check, if I'm running a side check, I might look at the horse and how much natural pole they have. If they don't have a lot of natural pole and I want them to elevate, I might, I might put another snap on that side check ring. I might drop that that lever angle for where they drop over. So I don't use a dumb jock per se, but I would try to get their head up in a different manner. All right. I came over here. Everybody, all the questions were over here. There has to be more throughout. Do you guys like, on a trotter, like a road horse, do you like them tied in the hind end or do you like them trotting wide, wide in the hind end? I, do, I like them comfortable back there. I don't want them tight enough to hit for sure, and, and I don't like them swinging way out. I just like them comfortable just uh, 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 just at a regular angle. I like that foot to go straight forward in the line that it goes in, and uh, uh, if they go out, that's extra work. If they go close, they hit. S same thing. Depending on how they build, <laughs> I want the horse to move comfortably for his confirmation. Um, as long as he's got a balanced stance that he can make those turns and feel an athletic stance and comfortable, then I'm fine with it. It just depends on the confirmation. You guys work with draw lines or straight lines? I never, we never did with, uh, or I didn't when I was working divide and conquer. I've used draw lines quite a bit for different ones and uh, it's it just depends on the horse. Uh, divide and conquer I felt never didn't really need that but I have had a road horse or two that did and uh, uh, I, one thing about the draw reins is you want to be sure before you use a lot of draw reins that your horse is a real clear breather. If he's a hard breather, the draw reins is going to accent that and maybe cause you some trouble that you don't want to ha have. Same thing, I probably use draw lines way, way more than Jimmy um, if you're comparing. Not that it's better or worse. Um, if you do have a hard breather, breather, I rarely will put one on there. Um, just because, again, I want my horse to know and feel comfortable that he can work as long as I want them to work. And it seems to me like if you get a hard breather, sometimes their confidence is, is checked back a little bit. Um, but, but I'll use draw reins. The thing I think the difference in the draw rein and the straight rein is, 
if I want to pitch that bridle as fast as possible, the, the moment that, you know when you train horses, the moment that they might need that, that pitch or that reassurance or that, you know, compliment or reward that you're giving them, the straight reins are going to happen so much faster. The draw rein is going to hold tension for so much longer. So you might not know it, but, it, you know, if you're working one with draw reins, you might not know it, but you're not releasing as much as possible. Now, if I have a horse that's extremely one-sided, if it's not a stifle, if it's not a lameness, if, if I can't figure out where it is, I might double that tough side back just because maybe subconsciously I'm not working it as much. So sometimes I'll experiment with that, running a straight to one side and a draw to the other. But, but you have to be smart enough to know if you're making it better or worse, and that's up to you and, and each horse's individual. Got it. Another question I had, it was kind of the same with that run and tie and run wide. Is there a difference, like some of the horses really run in underneath themselves? Um, does that hurt them, or is that something that is okay? You don't want to get to too much. Then that go to forging or uh, something like that, or else even jump on a quarter, and next thing you know, you've got a, a lame horse. I've had a horse uh, jump up with his hind leg and catch the the front quarter and open it up to where we're out a month or two, and uh, uh, we don't, uh, we don't, I don't like them to get too close like that, for sure. It, it, especially if they have any thoughts of interfering. De definitely a happy medium, right? You want that horse to be able to stride out. You love to see him stride out. You want a nice step, but like Jimmy said, when it starts getting close to forging, um, when he's going to interfere with himself, then that's going to mess with your timing, mess with his confidence, or mess with your soundness. So. Usually if we get one that's over stride and we definitely try to shoe them um, to shorten that stride, make them quicker off the ground behind. All right, when you're working your horses, time intervals, like, do you work them every day for an hour? Do you work them every other day for a half hour? Like, that's the question he's asking here is how often and how hard do you work your horses? Just depends on the time of year. Uh, um, I'm sure uh, when we're getting ready to go uh, to the horse shows when they start, we firm it up pretty good. Never an hour. We never go an hour. I'm, you know, uh, 15, 20 minutes. And uh, like I said, depends on the horse too. Uh, there's a uh, there's a old old saddlebred uh, story or thought. Uh, uh, Work the lazy ones hard, leave the game ones in the stall. And there's <clears throat> there's a little truth as far as hard work in that, but like divide and conquer, he just gets nice, slow, long work, but never fifteen or twenty minutes maybe, never never an hour or even thirty minutes. Now if you were at the barn watching Jimmy work divide and conquer, Sundays we take Sundays off. Um, Mondays, Jimmy would get drug around the barn for about 30 minutes trying to get him bridled back out of that bridle. Now, Tuesday and Wednesday would progressively get easier. But Monday, don't let Jimmy fool you. That horse would drag him around for a whole long time. Not an hour. <laughs> Not an hour. He couldn't hold him that long. This guy's seen too much. <laughs> well, this, um, isn't, this isn't right. But on a lazy horse, on a lazy horse or a horse that just isn't dying to get up through there, but has all the qualities that make it worth wanting to work him, you need to make sure he's very legged up. You don't want him to think he can get tired. And then maybe before you show him, he'll rest a day or two. Um, like Jimmy said, 
divide and conquer and, and other most of these trotting horses just want to get down the road they don't take a lot just keep them legged up enough where they're not going to be out of breath too much but but don't get them legged up too much changed a little. It started changing maybe around the turn of the century. I hate to, it's a funny thing to say because I spent 50 years saying turn of the century being way back in 1900. Now it's the turn of the century 2000. But uh, we, uh, I think around a little before maybe the turn of the century, before 2000, the standard bred race people were breeding them to stretch out and go out, and uh, then all of a sudden now we're seeing more shaped like they ought to be shaped to make a show horse out of them, and, uh, uh, and of course you always want that, but you, you, you're, you're kind of working against it if you haven't, if, if, uh, but I don't think the breeders of the standard bred racehorses are trying as hard to have them hung out like they, like they did a few years ago. I second that opinion to some degree. Um, you know, if, if you could have everything you wanted in one horse, I'd love him to have a long neck. Um, but I absolutely would not sacrifice a long neck for speed, a long neck for, for way of going. So you want to make sure that you're definitely trying to get a charismatic horse. You know, you look at Divide and Conquer, his neck's not massive, but he's just happy and he wears it right. So I would love to see a nice a nice neck and a, and a nice charismatic headset, but I want to see speed. I want to see everything the standard bread is, is what it is for. Let's say there's a horse that has a problem with pinning his ears or his ears are always turned back. Is there something you can do to make so he flips those ears forward and gives you that pretty look? You know... That's uh, that's what you want. I'm not saying you want those ears just plastered up because a standard bred, of course, is a working horse. But uh, uh, one that's pinning his ears, you may be thinking about his health, seeing if there's anything bothering him. He might have ulcers. He might have uh, uh, some some kind of a little thing that's hurting him, but he's not going to limp. But it's still hurting him and. First thing I'd be trying to do if he pinned his ears is uh, make sure that he's healthy, and uh, that that's important in, in every way. Just to be sure that he's plenty healthy, because uh, uh, pinning his ear, you know, if their if their ears are just kind of back, then that's another thing. But if he's actually pinning them, he's unhappy about something, and I'd be checking him health-wise. Yeah, I say the same thing. If, if he's absolutely pinning them, if I'm judging a road horse and he's not using his ears and he's by far the nicest horse, that, that's not going to sway me in, into not tying him. I'll tie him every time. Um, but if he's pinning his ears, ulcers, uh, it could be a number of things. Harness, um, 
he doesn't love the crupper, maybe change cruppers, maybe no. go to a metal crupper, maybe go to a softer crupper. So many different things you could change, but mostly, like Jimmy said, I'd go health first. I'd check everything out to make sure he's not uncomfortable and then work backwards. You know, the, the uh, adding on, ulcers, when I started in this working horses and training horses over 50 years ago, we didn't know what ulcers were. We didn't know horses had ulcers. That's all changed. Gastroguard's probably not 20 years old. And I guess we all know what gastroguard is, but <clears throat> it's a... Uh, uh, but they have learned so much about that. I mean, it, and it's... They're, they're, not in, they're not exactly in pain, but they're not comfortable. And we all want our show horses to be comfortable. Uh, I just had a... <coughs> How about the, uh, the bungee, just bungees, roundabout, is it good, not good, uh, can you overdo it, etc. I, I love the bungee for me, makes me see him have motion at home, it makes me happy, um, makes me feel more confident. Um, me personally, I don't, I don't use them a lot on a standard bread, um, I might put them on for half a trip again for me, for my own senses sense of happiness but usually I don't put much on maybe a light leather strap or a weighted leather strap I, I don't want if my horse is good and I'm not trying to change his stride I don't want anything to shorten his stride or to quicken his stride if he's good I'm, I'm happy with it now if I'm trying to make an adjustment maybe quicken his stride a little bit I might put the bungees on there um, I've never I've never put bungees on there and had it create motion out of nowhere mostly it's shoeing bridle um, you know how you're working the horse it's it's uh, the same with me. Of course, like I said, I've been around a long time, and uh, I can remember when there weren't any bungees. Nobody. Tom Moore started using those. The Tom Moore was one of our greatest saddlebred trainers, and uh, if he if he decided to paint a horse's rear end pink and went out in the work area where a lot of horses were, the next day everybody else would have their rear ends pink. He's he, he's the, uh, the record-wise, he's and he had good road horses too. But record-wise, he's the greatest trainer in history. His statues in front of Freedom Hall, where the world's championship is, just like Joe Lewis's statues up there in Cobo Arena, and Michael Jordan's statues at the at the United Fund, the United Arena in Chicago, and. Uh, but uh, like I said, I can remember when there wasn't such thing. I hate to say this, but I can remember when there wasn't such thing as uh, stretchies. So as a horse trainer, uh, would you say you the future of the What's the thing you're most concerned about and what you're most excited about? I don't, I'm not concerned about too much of anything. I think it's going in the right direction. What I'm more excited about than anything in the roadster division, the and the saddlebred division, <coughs> excuse me, Hackneys and uh, Morgans. What I'm more excited about is you all, is uh, seeing you all getting involved in our 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 sport of showing horses and uh, the you all. There's no rural America anymore, but you all are providing rural America where, where we see horses at work 
and horses that and uh, the the fact that you all are so excited about these these divisions, especially standard breads, I'm excited. I'm the same way. I don't see many many things that concern me. It seems like the the standard bread and the road horse division is going in a great direction. Um, again, I want to stress the standard bread type. Um, I, w I want the road horse to look like a road horse. I want it to look like what it's made to look like. But like Jimmy said, the most exciting thing about it is is this group right here. Um, you know, you don't see the general population is excited about horses anymore. They might not have brought, been brought up on a farm. They don't see them day to day. It's not something they're as passionate about as we are. So to see a passionate group of breeders that are breeding great quality horses, that excites me for the future. All right, I've got this question, and then I, I haven't been over in the very far rows. So if somebody has a question over there, I'll come over there um, and get the last question. But what, do you look, what is more important to you guys? Moving off behind them or moving big in the front end? Well, they're related. You know, I like them if they're if uh, they're moving really good off the hind end. Chances are you're going to like what they're doing in front. Yeah, I want to see a balanced horse. If you're out there as a judge and you're watching just an extremely gifted horse up front that doesn't have any back end, it's it's just not a pretty picture. There's no other way to say it. You've got a few minutes out there to make a quick decision. Um, so I want to see a balanced horse. Um, he doesn't have to have a, a gifted snatchy back end as long as it's not affecting his timing, but I want to see just a nice, well-balanced horse. All right, I've got one more. Everybody on this side knows everything about horses. They didn't have one question. All right, what's the funnest class? That's a good way to end it. What's the funnest class you ever beat? What's to say that again? What was the, the class that you won that was the most fun? Well, we all just saw it as far as I'm concerned. It was my my first world grand championship. That horse I showed the year before and won that UB USTA class. And that was fun. But this was really fun. And not only that, what made it more fun is he was... Mark, you said he was set. I think he was third in that open class. I think he was. And what made it fun for me to come back and win is, I'll <clears throat> refer to my father again. My father was one of the absolute greatest saddlebred trainers in history. And he won the fine harness stake at Louisville four years. And he won the walk trot stake at Louisville one year and never won a qualifier. And and when I when I won my first grand championship to have done it without winning a qualifier it, it meant a lot to me. Well I don't have a favorite <clears throat> standard red moment because I gotta follow that video every day and I wanna recreate that video every day. Uh, I've won a, quite a few classes at Louisville um, with saddlebreds and so on and so forth, but I haven't quite got the class I want yet on standard bread. Well, in case you're wondering, Keith, you're driving the bike and conquer now, right? Yes. So he's going to be the guy behind the lines. Um, I think we got to wrap it up. Give these two guys a round of applause. Uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Uh, you guys did a great job answering the questions, and I was thankful for all the questions. That's it. So, and tomorrow, we're going to get the 
see Divide and Conquer drive right after the last yearling gets sold. We're going to be able to see him drive on the outside. So keep that in mind. Uh, Mark's going to be putting on the, uh, the victory lap again. We want to thank you John uh, sponsor. Uh, thank them very much. Can I, hey, wait. Can, can I say one more thing? Y'all come back tomorrow. If, if, if you would do it, John, we'd like for you to finish up when we're driving Divide and Conquer tomorrow afternoon. That's it. Let's get that going. You got it. And we'll see you yeah. <laughs> That's not fair. Well, it was a big deal when we got this horse with John prepping him for us, and and uh, I think it'd be great if you if you do that for us. All right, be sure to be out there. Hey, I want to see how he looks with a big guy. Thank you all. Thank you all. We'll be back here. Um, at 4 o'clock, it's a root mayor management roundtable. Just wanted to make sure we know what we're talking about. But we'll be back at 4 o'clock.